0: Hello and welcome to the Dilip All Allrounder podcast, another week, and it's tennis this week, Wimbledon 2001. Akil Bangia is my guest, I'll introduce him shortly. I love tennis, I used to play it a lot as a kid, and we'll talk about that a bit as we get into the episode. This Wimbledon 2001, I think a lot of you will probably remember it, you might not have all watched all of the games, but... We had two very famous champions, Venus on the women's side and Goran Ivanicevic on the men's side. And there were a lot of ups and downs in this tournament, which is why it's great to revisit it. When this episode comes out, I'll be in the US and visiting my brother. And I'm actually going to try and do quite a few episodes with my brothers and releasing it over the next few weeks. So look out for that. And I'm going to think about some interesting tweaks. I might have some special episodes couple of patreon patreon type episodes if i can and i'll give you a bit of a preview about what's going to be shown on those so hopefully some exciting content if you do like the show wherever you download your podcast give it five stars that's if you do like it and make sure to keep downloading anyway coming up wimbledon 2001 or not, if I'm going to wake up and then somebody's going to tell me you didn't win Wimbledon again, you know, to serve for the match, suddenly I have a match point out of nowhere, you know, I came here, you know, nobody even talked about me and now I'm holding this trophy and it's it's just, uh, this support today was like, uh... (laughs) I mean, I was uh, three times in the final but this is, this is just uh, unbelievable, this is too good, thank you guys for everything and uh... I would like to thank a couple of people also, my father. I know, I mean, if I lose today, I think your heart will definitely <laughs> explode, but so I have to be careful. Thanks, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Dilip Ram All-Rounder podcast. It's the 6th of October. We're recording at 6.45 PM. And my guest today is Akhil Bangia. Akil, welcome to the show. Good evening, Dilram. It's very formal, like Aditya.
1: (laughs) I'm a formal guy.
0: You are, it's your first time, you said you told me it's your first time podcasting, so you're excited? First
1: time, maybe the last time, but (laughs) hopefully not the last time.
0: (laughs) Definitely not. Um, Akil wanted to record about the 1978 Formula One. That was his first choice, so I said people will fall asleep listening (laughs) to that. But maybe on another another episode. Akil, in another life, it's your first time so we need to know you could have been a superstar athlete. Which sport are you choosing, and why?
1: Yeah. So um, this is a this is probably a, a, an easy one for me um, because coming from the um, Indian diaspora in Australia, I think um, it's hard to say it it it, uh, it won't shouldn't be cricket. So uh, I think I'd go with that. Um, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am probably the furthest thing from a superstar when it comes to cricket, but. Um, yeah, ever since I was a kid, that 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 would be the sport that I would, if I wanted to be good at something and or amazing at something,
0: that would be the one. I mean, we first met on the cricket field. We were we, in Year Seven.
1: We did, we did. We met twenty years ago in in the. Is it twenty years? Yeah, yeah. In two thousand, I think it's two thousand three. Year seven, we're tr- cricket tryouts. Who's the goat? Ah, oh, so um, again, I'm gonna go with a bit of a left field answer with this one. I'm gonna say um, Michael Phelps. Wow. Um, I had to think about this. The, the, I think, look, there's a lot of goats, but to, to, for me, he is the ultimate only because just the level of domination that he, um, that, uh, you know, uh, with the guy like, you know, he's, he won, I think over three or four Olympic games, uh, 23 golds. I don't know how many to- medals in total, but, but then I read a stat somewhere saying that he'd won more medals than
0: 66 other countries. Phelps is a great pick yeah nobody's mentioned him yet but probably because swimming is yeah you we only watch swimming every four years or when the commonwealth games are on every second year and it's difficult to support it on a day-in day-out basis but they work so hard as athletes and the one thing i always remember about phelps was when he was in his prime was learning about how much he would eat in a day and he would eat more than ten thousand calories at it in a sitting and have 55 pancakes and it gave hope to all of us that oh you might be able to eat this and still look like that but clearly it's not the case he also woke up at
1: 4am every morning to do a million laps i know we don't do that unfortunately
0: okay so you've chosen phelps but we're talking about tennis today the 2001 wimbledon actually and before we get into it i want to get a sense from you how you fell in love with the game of tennis what your relationship is with tennis
1: yeah it's it's, it's a um, it's definitely a love-hate relationship I, I, I wish I was better at it but um, but I do love it I do love tennis um, I, I think it's one of the first, one of the few sports where I you know I can't even remember the first time I played it but I would have been very young it was uh, it all started off at South End Tennis Club
0: in, Enfield, that?
1: in, in, in Enfield. Enfield yeah right. so um, yeah I, I think I, my dad signed me up for lessons that's where, that's where it all started. And, uh, and yeah, and I think it's one of those sports. Where it's it's, it's a fairly um, easy sport to um, to understand and um, other than the scoring system, which is a bit odd. Mm.
0: But I started playing around seven. So I, my mum put me in these lessons at this John Eldridge tennis court. It was 500 meters away from home and started playing that. Loved it. It was all those group lessons where yeah. you would train with four other yeah. kids and... Your coach would teach you how to hit a forehand, yeah. how to hit yes, a backhand, yeah. how to hit a serve, and it was so much fun. It would always be on a Tuesday night, play for an hour, an hour and a half, get sweaty, and then walk back home. Yeah. Um, and the best part was that that
1: ball machine. Yes. Yeah, the, yeah that's that's the part I remember like.
0: Well, yeah. we didn't get the ball machine. We had to like the coach. His name was Andrew, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and he would have this huge bucket of balls. And then the task would be you'd all smash it, and then you'd have to go to the other side of the court and collect Pick all the up. balls oh. and. That would take five ten minutes we all hated doing it but you had to do it actually one of the funny embarrassing stories from tennis it, and it wasn't even from playing tennis it was i always used to get so tired after playing tennis and there used to be this gatorade machine at the and it would be two dollars it yeah. wasn't gatorade, it was powerade and it was i always used to ask my mom and every second time she'd say yeah yeah," instead of water i'll give you two i'll give you two dollar coin and you can get a get a powerade after tennis and then there was this one time she said no no Dilip, that's that's enough power it's too much sugar <laughs> and i was really upset about that so you need
1: those electrolytes
0: so. i know well i she didn't wonky. know they had electrolytes i'm seven years old but i just loved the taste and so you know i went against my mom's wishes and we have this coin jar at home so i snuck in and i snuck four 50 cent pieces and put it in my pocket <laughs> and i thought no one would notice Penny but did. it was. It was two fifty cents in my left and two fifty cents in my right. And I'm too dumb at the time to realize that it's making those jinglings. <laughs> Before I leave the house, my mom just said, Okay, bye, like, you know, but make sure I pray to God and then go. Because I was walking and just wanted me to be safe. And so I'm praying and then I realize it's jingling. And so I'm like walking and trying to put my shorts so that it doesn't holding jingle. Your shorts, yeah. And then she heard the jingle and she <laughs> lost it. It's got an interesting sort of relationship in Australia tennis. It, we have a, we've had a lot of great Australian tennis players over the years We've the goat of goats. Some people will call him the goat. He won two Grand Slams, i.e. he won the four Grand Slam titles in a year um, on two occasions. And that was Rod Laver, yep. Rocket Rod. And we've had great players in Leighton Hewitt, Pat Rafter, <laughs> Philippousis. Nick Kieros of, um, you know, today's generation. So tennis in Australia has got a rich history, but at school level, I always felt like it wasn't as respected as other sports. At Trinity, cricket, rugby, football, to a lesser extent, were the sports you yep. wanted to play and were the sports that the headmaster would speak about at school assembly. But if you want a tennis tri- title or if you want a tennis tournament, it would be given next to no attention. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> And so no, no high schooler at Trinity felt like Felt proud about playing tennis. It was almost mocked.
1: You didn't have the aura of the rugby boys. You know? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At our school, if you won a rugby championship, you would get a half day off <laughs> yeah. or a, a full day off school. If you won a tennis championship, it wouldn't even be mentioned in the newsletter. <laughs> and that somewhat shifts us to Wimbledon in two thousand and one. We're in a very different period, Bangiao. Yep. In two thousand and one, yeah, different world, very different. As world. I yeah. as I love to say, it was a different world in a different time. Uh, we were both. In year five. Yes. So a year East five You Eastwood
1: primary for you and, uh, and public, public for me. Yeah.
0: I had just moved schools. I just made opportunity class. Oh. It's a bit of a shout out to opportunity <laughs> class. I, I was... forgot about OC classes. And so the world was my waster at the time. <laughs> you thought I... you made it. You're like, oh, OC class. I really That's did. It. That's it. I didn't need to work for the rest of my <laughs> life. I had made OC. There are some news events that I think you might remember. This was after Wimbledon, but we had the 9-11 yeah, attacks in 2001 in was, September. Yeah. The Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy yep. reopened in oh, two thousand and one. That's, a, that's um, an
1: interesting fact.
0: Yeah, so it had been closed down for a a, a lot of repairs okay. to fix that lean. Yes,
1: yeah, so I assume the lean is not intentional. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, if it was, it's some shoddy <laughs> building. Um, the other event that I was able to Google and find out was that iTunes was re- released by Apple in really? two thousand and one. Yeah, as in the, the yeah, the, that's
1: true. I think that was a. Um, that was the era of, of the Apple um, of the Apple iPod, I think it was. yeah, that, that was the first thing that came out. So it was also the year that we had um, George Bush yes. come in and is, as a president of the United States. So was it 2001? Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think he won in 2000,
0: but then Florida. And,
1: and, yes, Hanging Chad. <laughs> yes, that was yes, that was a, a contentious election.
0: Indeed. Trump
1: would have had something to say about that. And then also uh, another interesting about, about about that year was um, the collapse of um, Enron.
0: So we're living in a completely different world yeah. back in 2001. The tennis landscape was no different. Tennis in 2001, I believe, still had that beautiful harmony of a number of great serve and volley players Yeah. and a number of outstanding baseline players. Yes. And names such as Ivanisevic, Sampras, Agassi, Henman, Kafelnikov, Gustavo Curtin, Carlos Moyer, they were all names that were synonymous with tennis in the late 90s and early 2000s. It had a symphony of- players And Rafter (laughs) on the men's side. The women's side was no less. The women's side had great players that were on the Wayne and great players that were coming through. So you had Martina Hingis who was dominating yes. in the late nineties yeah. and you had the, uh, the, the Williams sisters that yeah, were starting really to come to the, yeah. to, to the in rise. In the
1: early 2000s. That's when they started.
0: Really exactly. It, yeah. And then great players like Steffi Graf, Monica Sellis yes. that were there. So 2001 was, I felt as if any grand slam could have been won by any player.
1: You're right. It was a generational shift between, between two eras, obviously.
0: But in 2001, you still had that rich collection of players and, that's why I love thinking about and talking about Wimbledon because particularly in 2001. So the Wimbledon championship is a tennis tournament played on grass courts yeah. at the all England lawn tennis and croquet club. They actually played croquet there. Um, nobody ever talks about the Wimbledon croquet tournament and it's held in June to yeah. July to a lot of us. We, always associate Wimbledon with being the oldest and the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world. They've got very strict dress code policies. All white, yeah. They're actually the last um, of the Grand Slam tournaments to award equal prize money to men and women. I think that happened in 2007. To us and to a lot of people watching Wimbledon, I always felt as if Wimbledon matches were the most interesting because they would finish quite quickly because the courts were so quick. Yeah and Going it had, back to the seven volley. Exactly. Yeah. And it had that equal balance with players who were dominant at the net and then players who were equally dominant at the ba- at the baseline.
1: Yeah.
0: For example, you had John McEnroe back in the day who would, who won a lot of Wimbledon finals and then Bjorn Borg. Yeah. Who was a complete baseline player yeah. and was still able to dominate winning six I think six Wimbledons and five French Opens. I want to cover a couple of points which just come out from that but it might be more fitting to do it in hot seat so we'll go to hot seat. First hot seat is the seeding formula. Seeding in the Wimbledon came under a lot of spotlight because you had a lot of actual Spanish players who were very proficient on clay courts coming to Wimbledon and complaining about how the Wimbledon system was seeding players. Wimbledon compared to the other Grand Slams would seed players based on their grass court form. Oh yes. Yeah. Whereas the other Grand Slam tournaments were favoring those players who were, what was their ATP ranking? And that was a particularly hot issue because in, uh, I think it was 2000 or 2002, you had three Spanish players actually boycott the tournament. Okay. Alex Correcha Costa, and Juan Carlos Ferrero. Yep. If you remember uh, Ferreira, they they were all ranked in the top 20 but they felt aggrieved with the seeding system because they would fail miserably at Wimbledon and the grass court. And it put them out of seeding contingent. So they said, we're
1: out, we're, well, well, we're not playing. Yeah.
0: The next one I have is serve and Volley. 2001 was the last true Servant Volley Grand Slam event to yeah. me. It, and it brings a tear to my eye thinking about it because you had these true great players, Rafter, Sampras, Goran Ivanisovic, who... They'd won in other tournaments, but this was where they really showed showcased yeah, their true the strength. strength. Yeah, certain people complaining, and it was a lot of the European contingent that the games were get the games at Wimbledon were boring.
1: Yeah, I think it was the '94 Wimbledon final, which was Sampras, um, and I think that was the game where I think a lot of uh, fans or spectators, even commentators, were saying that um, it was a relatively boring final because. Um you both you had two men who are you know booming servers mm. and and then also serve and volley players. So um you're just getting very short games and um, and you know and ultimately uneventful or you know no long rallies or anything like that. So I think um, that was that that might have been the catalyst for the in, in the in the Wimbledon contingent to, to change you, it up to change it up. and I think there were some technology changes
0: around you know the grass, so they changed the lawn to. 70% rye grass and yep. 30% creeping red fescue. That's a weird name. I'm not gonna pretend I know <laughs> what fescue and rye grass is. So it was originally 70% rye grass and 30% fescue with 100% rye grass. And apparently that slowed the courts down. And they did that just after 2001. And what we saw is a complete change in who yep. was winning at Wimbledon. Yeah. The
1: next year, late in Leighton, Leighton Hewitt. Won. <laughs> But also, um, you know, uh, that in that era, you know, racket technology was also True. changing. The um, racket heads were getting bigger, and and as a result, that that was favouring obviously servers. And, yeah. And then you know, in in that respect, um, you know, I, and I think that was probably not envisaged by anyone who who was um, who was making those changes to to Wimbledon.
0: I had one more player on the hot seat, and that I had Goron Okay. On the hot seat, I didn't have Goron, I thought. I who, uh, who did you have on the hot seat? Well, I I actually had
1: Goron as probably. Um, the, had the lowest pressure Yeah <laughs> um, I just want to talk about Gora yeah. um, But in terms of who I had In terms of the hot seat You know I, I think I, mine were pretty obvious answers so I, I think you had Pat Rafter And then we only found out afterwards But he said it himself in interviews That that was going to be his last Wimbledon
0: Yeah It's uh, a good call, yeah
1: and, and, uh, and obviously he had lost the year before to Sampras He did um, So he, he played well he did, yeah. He he actually said it himself that he reckoned that uh, he had, probably had a better chance against that Sampras match than he did against yeah, yeah. the Korun match, which is interesting. But um, I had Tim Henman as my love it as my other player under pressure. Um, Henman now, Hill, yes, Henman Hill, which is where I sat on when I did was, you. I did when I was uh, in uh, twenty one Wimbledon <laughs> with um with our friend Ryan Sutton. So they still call it Henman Hill. They do, yeah, they do here. Yeah. Someone who didn't win yeah, anything. I don't. I, I, I don't get why they call it Henman Hill. <laughs> Wasn't Greg Rosetsky also from the UK? <laughs> yeah.
0: Greg Rosetsky made a US Open final. Yeah,
1: but and and Henman hasn't made it to any final.
0: So. Rosetsky River?
1: <laughs> the Chains of Thames River. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he, I had him only because um, he, you know... Oh, yeah, I, I, look, obvious things. Hometown favourite. He made it to the semis in the two prime... or oh, I think it was at least... ninety-eight, ninety-nine Wimbledon's. he made it to the, to the semis, so... And, and uh, going back to your earlier point around the serve volley, he
0: was a fantastic volleyer. So. That was his game. Volleying is really difficult. It is. I sometimes, when I used to play, I don't play as much now. When I used to play, I always used to think, oh, I'd be fine just to serve and volley. But I, I was no good. Those guys who, who were serve volleyers were amazing players. And Henman had probably one of the best um, volley games yeah. out there. Look, I said Goron is a hot slip. Goron's history with Wimbledon, he has a colored history with Wimbledon. And I was watching a few interviews that he gave after the tournament and also before the tournament, prior to receiving a wild card. It was his most successful Grand Slam tournament. He had finished runner up in 92, 94 and 98. And for anyone who plays sport or plays some, does engages in a competitive activity, to finish runner up after putting in so much time and effort and thinking that you were a good chance of winning, it can be soul destroying and it can be really crushing. I can say personally, I'm a really sore loser. And so this bloke lost three, three times. times. Actually, 92 was the year he beat Sampras yeah. in the semifinal. Minimum, yeah. And so you're thinking that this Croatian big serve, big volleyer, he's beaten Sampras in 92. Sampras then was, wasn't a household name, but he beat him and he was playing Agassi in the final. And when he spoke about it, Goron subsequently spoke about that fi- 92 final and he said, I approached that final believing that I was going to win yeah, because I was coming up against a player who wasn't a servant volleyer, No. and I was coming up with someone who I didn't believe had my game. And so when he lost, it was it was very soul destroying for, for Goron. And that was Agassi's first Wimbledon title. I think it was. Yeah. It was. I think that was the days Agassi had the ponytail, yeah. right? When he had
1: hair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Goran loses in 92 but he comes back in 94 and he plays Sampras in the final and he gets destroyed he loses in three sets to to Sampras and that was Sampras' second Wimbledon title and then he comes to 98 he's a bigger and a better player in 98 and 98 was probably the most crushing loss for him because he loses in five sets to Sampras and he speaks about it after the tournament and he says that Sampras basically ruined his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it could be the, because English is his second language, yeah. you choose words that are more emotive. He's a man
1: of simple yeah, a yeah. Few words, and, but it's, it's very simply. Spoken, yeah.
0: And he speaks about it. He says, and he can obviously smile about it now because he, he won in 2001, but he spoke about Sampras ruining his passion and love for the sport because he could never get past him. Yeah. And for someone like Goron, Wimbledon was his... Tournament that, yeah, where he could win. That's where he was going to
1: win. The, where he was going to win his titles, you know. And yeah, I think that. I think that ninety-eight defeat probably. I think it crushed him. And
0: and you could tell. Obviously, in the next three years he was. He, he yeah. didn't feature. Yeah. And by the end of two thousand, his ranking had dropped outside of the top one hundred. Yeah. And it didn't improve by the time the British major rolled in. You don't get an automatic spot when you want to qualify. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to go to the British office. You've got to bow down. <laughs> To the Lord of whoever's deciding the ranking. <laughs> the tennis and croquet, the tennis and gods. croquet academy, the and you need to basically ask for a wild card, or you yeah. need to play a qualifying tournament because he had the three runners up. They said, "We'll give you a, we'll yeah. give you a spot."
1: And and I think um, look, it made sense. Clearly, with the whole wild card system, they. Um, they usually give out eight for grand slams. Typically they're given to up and coming players or local up and coming players. Now that doesn't that's not the only criteria. There are other criteria, you know. It could be,
0: you know, people coming back from injury that were, yep. um, past winners. It was almost an easy decision yeah. to give someone like him a wild card. When you say wild card wild card's a great name for yep. giving a spot a wild card. So the name itself I think is synonymous with Goran. It was it was a it was a wild character and a great character for tennis. Pete Sampras is definitely uh, is a guy who ruined my life. <laughs> ruined my dreams, still cannot sleep because of him. Actually that was my best, if not the best, probably top three best matches in Wimbledon. Or in my life. Top five moments, Panga? Yep. I have a couple of honour. I have an honorable mention first. And the first honorable mention goes to the women's semi final Hennen and Capriati. Yep. I had that as an honorable mention because I thought it was important to reflect on Hennen's performance. She became the first Belgian player to reach a Wimbledon final. Yeah. And that was a great achievement because she, I think we all remember early 2000s with, associated with Kim Kleisters, who was also, um, she was a Belgian and we remember her for being, maybe people in Belgium remember her, uh, remember Leighton Hewitt as Kim Kleister's boyfriend. (laughs) But as Australians, we remember um, Kim Kleister's Aussie Kim Kim. (laughs) as as Hewitt's first uh, girlfriend before he married Beck Cartwright from Home and Away. away. But that semi-final was a great semi-final. Hennen and uh, Capriati was 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 playing very well at the time. One of the American stalwarts and uh, an American tennis icon. Uh, she had her own issues in the early '90s. She had a few drug issues, yep. and then came back and was start was starting to dominate on the world tennis stage. Number five actually had another semifinal. It was the women's uh, semifinal. Ve- Venus Williams and Lindsay Davenport. Yep. Yeah. In two
1: thousand
0: and one. That was an that was an all-American semi-final, and it had two players with contrasting styles and also contrasting backgrounds. You had on one side Lindsay Davenport, this all-American woman who was playing very well on the on the women's stage, winning a lot of grand slams. I think she won four or five in her career. Yeah. But Venus was on the up; she was on the rise, and this was 2001 was a period where Venus was probably. The better the, out of the three. sisters, Williams, yeah. Venus was really on the rise. She had just dominated in 2000, winning the Wimbledon in the US. And so we're talking about a player, an, an African American player who we don't normally associate tennis with, who was really dominating the stage. And I thought that semifinal, the winner of that would ultimately win. Yeah. Number four, Goron and Henman. That's in the Wimbledon semifinal. Yeah. Some people may actually have that as a number one moment. Yeah. I had it as number 4 because it's the semi-final. Not only was Tim Henman playing excellent tennis, he had just disposed of just dispatched Roger Federer. Yeah. And so the draw had opened up nicely. There are actually quite a few doc no I wouldn't say documentaries, documentary but interviews and short clips on the match. The first set was uh, was won by Goran and then he comes to the second set and he loses it in a tiebreak. And it almost plays with his mind because in that third set of kill, he loses. He loses love six. Yeah. He he yeah he he's it's, it's almost falling apart for him at this point. And what saves him? The heavens opened up. The he- <laughs> the heavens really opened up. He he was losing love six, so he's two sets to one down. And for no chance. You need to win three sets in the men's game yep. out of five. He speaks later about prior to the rain he thought it was over he thought he didn't have anything left in his game tennis is a very mental psychological battle half the time it's a little bit like cricket in that sense it is not only your skill but it's how hard and how hard are you willing to fight yeah. for every point and at that point when he was two sets to one down in that fourth set he was i think he was almost done with the game and then we're at 3 2, I think. Or yeah. it's 2 1 or 3 2, and the rain, the heavens open. You know, in Lagan, when the rain comes down <laughs> after they've won the cricket, this is for our Indian fans. you got to have your Lagan reference. Yeah, I have to. And they're saying, gunana, gunana. But <laughs> 3 2, and the rain's open. And Goron speaks about this in in a, I think he, he gave an interview 20 years on from his Wimbledon win. And he speaks about going to the locker room when he's in that fourth set. And he talks about looking at Tim Henman's face yeah. and Tim had a resigned look yeah. on his face. And I think he had this resigned look because he felt as if the game was there to take on that day and he wasn't able to do it. And Goran at that moment felt and believed that he'd already won the match. Yeah, yeah
1: he had a mindset change when he was back in the locker room. He was, he, he, and, and I think I remember seeing this as well, but he, he, he was... Um, he was quite devastated going into the locker room and thinking, oh, this this is like I'm gonna lose it, you know, this is another chance lost for me. Um, but then he just thought, actually, why?
0: You know, why isn't this a mindful of the taking? And then his mind just changed in that locker room. And so they come back on the second day and Goron starts dominating that fourth set. And little do we know, it rains again. Yeah. Goron said that that rain on the second occasion didn't affect him. Yeah. He said, I felt like I was the better player. And they come third day they play and Goron disposes of Henman and wins his semi-final to m- make his fourth uh, Wimbledon final. And I felt like it deserves credit because Goron speaks about that semifinal. and he said, nobody spoke about me in the semifinal. It yeah. was all about Henman, yeah. Rafter and Agassi. He said that, that that really drove him to play his best tennis, because he was someone who wanted to be spoken about. He wanted to be in the media spotlight, and he felt that he was being ignored in favor of these other these other three great players. Yeah, and that maybe drove you know built put a little fire in him. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I, and I think um, the other thing that. Um, you know, for, for Goran is, you know, he, he, he probably himself to an extent thought this was probably
0: just a wild ride. Number three, I had the final, the women's final, Yeah, Venus Williams and Justine Hennon. That final, Venus talks about it afterwards. She spoke about how it was a lot more difficult for her to win 2001 compared to 2000. Last year, she had felt like it was, she was a deer in the headlights when she won in 2000. And that almost was... It was a positive for her because she had no expectations, but this year she came in with the expectations. It was a tough game, it was a three set match. Hennen really, to me, I always, if I remember anything about Justine Hennen, it's her single handed backhand. Yeah. It was the, in the women's game, she was one of the few players to play with a single handed backhand. But I always see the single-handed backhand as the most aesthetic shot in tennis. The, yeah. well, the like, in what Federer does as well. What Federer does, um, Richard Gasquet, yeah. the the Frenchman. But that final, it was a great final. Venus won eventually one in three. Number two, we're we're really getting to the 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 crux of it. The the crux of it, and number two is a weird one because I don't have. It's not a semi-final. It's not even a, It's not even a quarter-final. I have Federer and Sampras in that famous fourth round battle. Yeah. In, in 2001, we were not expecting Roger Federer to become the player that he now is, but he was coming in, he was a touted superstar. He was someone with a lot of potential. But Sampras had a penchant for losing to the weird up and coming player. In yeah. 96, he lost to Richard, uh, Richard Krycek. Yeah, who ended up winning. Who ended up winning. And so he meets this 19 year old Roger Federer in the fourth round. And it was a, it was a great match because Federer matched Sampras with a serve and volley game yeah. back in that time. And both, both players really were measuring each other. They were, it was a cycle, psycholo- not only a physical battle, but it was a psychological battle. And I thought that that fourth round match was a, was a turning yeah. of the tide for Federer and also a sign of the decline of sampras yeah that generational change yeah exactly yeah
1: absolutely and i and i think um sampras himself did not end up winning any other wimbledon after that so you know um and at the same time for fedra that was kind of his making exactly um you know people knew of him as this up-and-coming guy talented um but that that sampras defeat obviously, you know, put him to the spotlight and said, oh, you know, this is a guy who's who's beating the, you know, the Michael Jordan of Wimbledon, so... He was, that's a good... I don't mind that one,
0: the Michael (laughs) Jordan the Lewis Hamilton. The the Lewis Hamilton of everything. Banger and I played... We were were in Brisbane once and I always teased Banger for saying he knows nothing about sport and he's... We were playing this game where he had to come up with a clue for something. 21 questions? Yeah, Yeah, 21 questions. And he was saying... His, the final answer was Lewis Hamilton, and we all thought it was Lewis Hamilton. But I remember saying to my friend at the time, I said, There's no way Bangier knows who Lewis Hamilton <laughs> is, so it can't be that. But it was, so I'll give you that. Michael, I, jo- the Michael Jordan of Wimbledon. I'll come back for an F1 podcast. Yeah, you yeah, have to. The 1978 oh, yeah. one, get two listeners my mum and my dad. <laughs> if you ever have time, it's on YouTube, the full match, it's a three hour match you will see a different federer Federer, who was willing to embrace the serve and volley game it's ironic that federer beats sampras and then loses to henman (laughs) beating um beating Sampras was his final and it was almost difficult for him to really get up for the for the next game and that's why probably why he lost to henman yeah absolutely yeah we can get to number one it's it's why we're both here the good old final the good old final it's the final between patrick rafter and Goran Ivanisevic, We spoke about how Goran made the final. He, Rafter in 2001, he didn't fare well at the French Open, but he lost to Agassi in the 2001 Australian Open semi final. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great match. Rafter never ended up, he never won an Australian Open. He won two US Opens. But so he's coming, so he approaches Wimbledon, uh, wins the semifinal against Agassi. And this is his chance to finally win a grass court Grand Slam Something,
1: something that
0: is built for yeah his game was built for right. it. it. was rafters game i mean I, I think a lot of people listening to this hopefully if you listen to this you've all seen him play he had a, he had a beautiful silky serve yeah. he took his time he was a patient player he had the ponytail was a fam. he was just a great australian um i don't know what he's like in his personal life but he, he his image was It was either, you are either a Rafter fan or you were a Filipuzas fan. And I think more Australians were on (laughs) the Rafter side. side. I was on the (laughs) Filipuzas side, but (laughs) I loved the Scud. This was a final where we, the last two players were both servant volley superstars. Now we had a number of rain delays in that tournament. So the final was delayed. And I think we were talking about it before the podcast. It was played on a Monday.
1: Yeah. Because Goran um, Goran Goran
0: Goran He, he you, You're um, saying Gor- Goran You're saying <laughs> Rosetki. It's Rosetsky
1: Rosetsky right? <laughs> My pronunciations of these You know Key names yeah? Yeah. Um, But um, Goran actually Only finished His uh, semi-final On the Saturday Which was the same day um, Yeah The uh, Venus won Yes The final So um, it would have yeah, been so, difficult
0: to play on a Sunday. Yeah,
1: so it would have been difficult for it to play on a Sunday. And then I, I
0: think it was a bit of a combination of rain delay and also um, lighting issues. Exactly. And because they played on the Monday, they had to actually sell new tickets yes. for the game. And and what we had was we had a change in the in the crowd. Because new tickets were being sold, the stands were now full of passionate Croatian fans and Australian spectators. Yeah. It was a rowdier crowd, a yeah. crowd that you don't normally associate Wimbledon yeah, crowds with. We were
1: with. talking about earlier and the the, the, the you know how posh, posh Wimbledon is and wearing proper, white and yeah.
0: all of that. And they called it People's Monday. People's Monday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they actually famously joke when when Venus wins the final, what usually happens is you have the ball on the Monday, like the yeah. the tennis ball, and the winner of the Men's tournament winner, of the women's tournament, they both go together and they and they said to Venus, Well, you're gonna to have to go alone this time. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the journalists, so Alex Ramsey, was a famous tennis author and journalist at the time, he said, if there was a problem with this final, it was that nobody wanted either of them to lose. Yeah. Everybody Very true. wanted them both to win. Look, and I'm gonna be honest, I did not mind who would win because I because I was too young to really feel. To or to experience Ivanisevic's first few losses. Yeah, I can't, I'm a exactly. two-year-old. I've got no memories of him <laughs> losing in a final. And I'm a four-year-old. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna be crying in bed because Ivanisevic lost to Sampras in the '94 Wimbledon final. I agree. I,
1: I was. I had a very similar mindset um, in terms of who I wanted to win. I, it was definitely Rafter. Um, you know, I, I think going back, I was, I was ten. You know, ten-year-old watching Wimbledon final. Um, it was a Monday night um, school night and in my house it wasn't very common to watch tv late at night but, <laughs> but we, we were all watching on our 13 inch panasonic oh wow and you know the, the final and, and obviously i wasn't aware back then of goran's um prior heartbreaks so yeah. So I was definitely Team Rafter. Um, maybe if I had known, I, I I'd I'd Might be torn. Be more
0: balanced. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: but definitely Rafter. It was, it was that, that's who I wanted to win, and I, I was obviously devastated when he lost.
0: Yeah. After when, when that that final, but and it was um, a great final. It was an amazing final. It was it was very topsy turvy. The the final itself, both players split the first four sets. Yeah. The fifth set, Goron speaks about how he broke Rafter in. in in the fifth set. He goes up 8-7. Yeah. And the final two games reflect everything about Goron's personality and Rafter. Yeah. Because Goron breaks Rafter, so he goes up 8-7 and he's serving for the match. And he has four match points in that that final game. And on his first match point, what does he do? Double fault. Double fault. (laughs) On his second match point, I think he double, double falls again. Yeah. And Goran had this thing. So he, I think he was up, he was up in the game and he had this personality trait where if he won a point and it was an important point, he would always ask the ball boy or the bill ball girl for that ball oh, that okay. he used to win the he point. He was a very superstitious guy, incredibly <laughs> superstitious. So he, and he was obviously a booming server. So what he would do is he would, he would hit an ace, and it was a big point so he would point to the other side of the court and say I want that ball only because that's my good luck charm and I always used to love that about him so he he double faults double faults and then he loses the third point because Rafter in in that great Australian attitude of never say die just refuses to give up the point and hits this beautiful lob Bob, yeah over his head yeah yeah and it's this is this is a match championship point yeah. and so he saves it and Goran you, you then see Goran almost pray to the skies as in God. Please be out. Yeah. <laughs> or God, what what do I need to do yeah. to win one of these?
1: I agree, yeah. And I think he said it himself, um, that, that lob that Rafter did over his head, um, he actually said, it, you know, his, his brain was telling him, jump, jump. <laughs> yes. But he physically could not, you know, at, yeah. at this point, obviously, fifth set, you know, um, he's he, tired. He's tired. Yeah. He said his legs felt like they were hundred kilos, so um, you know, his body was saying no, nah, but his mind was saying jump. And you know, like, and I, and I agree that that the third championship point for him, you know. That, it, exactly it would have been like what do i need to do to win this what do i need to do Oh, why have you forsaken me
0: it's, it's uh, you get the image of someone in the in the desert with no water yeah. and saying god where are you yeah. there's a, a wimbledon court saying i need this i need this tournament i always feel as if it's poetic that on his fourth match point which is also reflects his fourth final yeah he finally got over the line and he won wimbledon yeah and it was, it was just nice that it was a, had, a, had a nice connection to it, the synergies of um, reaching his fourth final, winning on his fourth match point. He is elated when he wins. It was one of my favorite, I will remember it because we were both, let's say we're in year five, we, the memories or the moments that you watch as a young kid really shape what you think about in, in the future. And I think as 11 year old watching someone who was given no shot to win and then finally winning gives you inspiration and motivation that anything's possible. And, and, you know, and, and you could see it in his face when he won, you
1: know, he had that iconic kind of fist shaking to his, to his, um,
0: yeah, you know, coaching box. and Exactly. And he, he thanked the Wimbledon wildcard system yeah. and <laughs> he thanked everybody and anybody. That sort of transitions into, who, would you believe that? It's more a question. So Goran wins Wimbledon. He goes back to Croatia. There's a hero celebration. Yeah. He's from, from Split. Hero, from Split. Yeah. Uh, is that a city in Croatia? Yeah,
1: it's a resort island or resort city in, in Croatia.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Do you Very know, popular. Do you know how many people came to the hero's Welcome in Split?
1: I, I, I did read this. It was uh, 200,000.
0: Or, or, or thereabouts, maybe. Well, you've killed my excitement. So it was 100,000. <laughs> 100,000.
1: Sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I wanted you to say something like 500 people. <laughs> but 100,000 people uh, came to Split to celebrate Goron's yeah. Wimbledon. And that was also the population of Split. So literally How everyone, amazing is that?
1: everyone in Split came out to yeah. see
0: his hometown hero. Come I couldn't back believe that. Yes. Um, it was... He got a hero's welcome. I remember seeing it in the news because people were just amazed that for a tennis, for a Grand Slam win, that, you know, when, when Sampras wins Wimbledon and he goes back to the States, Everybody's focusing on football. Nobody could yeah. care less that Sampras wins. It's the Trinity won. Grammar School dilemma <laughs> all over again. I think this is true. Even if future remains the only male player in singles to have won a major title as a, as wild, a wild card. card yeah. yeah. Which is a, but, Yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing feat. Banger. Could you make a movie about this? What do you think? I think so. As in, this is this has got everything. It's got. What's your plot for the movie though? And how long is it? Is it a is it a ninety minute movie? Is it a two hour movie? Well,
1: I see it as a. You know, have you seen that um, the Hindi movie the 80, where India won the eighty three World Cup?
0: I haven't seen that movie yeah. yet. Where Ranveer
1: Singh plays the. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm forgetting the name. Um, oh, Kapil-, Kapil Dev. Sorry. Kapil Dev. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I see that level of kind of like a, a similar movie vibe or, or plot as to that where you know, um, kind of taken for granted, no one really thinking they're gonna win. You know, India. No one thought India was gonna win the eighty three World Cup. Um, similarly with with uh, Goran. Uh, you know, no one two fifty yeah. to one. No one was even thinking this guy's gonna win the Wimbledon title. And you know he's yeah. a wild card, Andrew, and he. This is basically his last shot at just I don't know maybe winning a couple of matches and then kind of fading away in the distance. But um, you know,
0: it, 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 it's a it's a hero story. So so yeah, it I- would. It, I agree. It would make for a it'd make for a good movie. I think there are actually tennis is a is a good sport to make movies about, and we've had some good movies so there's King Richard, yeah. which is about tennis, but it's in some ways, it's more yeah. about the, the Williams father, the, uh, Richard Williams and how he raised his two daughters. So the, the stories outside of tennis, there's another tennis movie I saw. I don't know if you saw it. It's called match point. Oh yeah. I, I I'm familiar, but I have not seen it, but I think tennis is a, it's a, it's a good sport to, it's a good sport to make movies about, but at the same time you need, Actors who can actually hold a racket yes. and who can actually play can the game. do it justice. So my actors for this movie, if we, if we ever made a movie, I've got Antonio Banderas for Goron. Yeah. I think, look, I'm using a European Spanish actor, but I think he would be a great Goron impersonator. We'd have to get him some tennis lessons because <laughs> you wouldn't be able to just show like back shots of someone a professional tennis player. It'd have to look like Antonio Banderas So hey. I, I actually had um I, I thought
1: this is a bit weird, but I, I thought Sasha Cohen would be as Goran as Goran would, <laughs> would be great. Um, only because just in terms of physique, in terms of um, you know, he's uh, uh you know he's built. Uh, he had kind of like that lanky look to him, so I just thought. You know, And obviously, he looks a little bit, you know, color complexion. I don't know, mind
0: similar. that. Yeah. That's why I selected Sasha Barrett He'd need some real tennis lessons <laughs> <definitely>. for <laughs> that. But he could do it. If anyone yeah. could do it, Sasha could Board do it. Borat can do it. I've got, uh, and I think Tim Hemman has to play a role yeah. in this movie. So I've got Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah,
1: that's a great, that's a great, yeah, that's another thing you They
0: got. sort of, you know, if anyone who doesn't know Jonathan, he was the guy, he was a coach in Bender, like Beckham. He was also starring in that movie, Match Matchpoint. I'm going for Tim Henman. I have got Hugh Jackman for Pat Rafter. Just you've got to choose an Aussie bloke with the Aussie accent. It's very hard to just fake an yeah. Australian accent. So, it's got to be an Aussie actor. I had Liam
1: Hemsworth. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, agree, agree Aussie actor, but I thought um uh, I I just thought Hugh Jackman might be too He's big. too jacked. Yeah, it's too 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 <laughs> yoked for
0: to play <laughs> to play Pat serve and volley superstar like Pat Rafter. <laughs> I also don't I just can't see Hugh Jackman being a tennis player. No. Nah. But I also can't see Liam Hemsworth being a tennis player. Yeah. But they're my superstars for this movie. And the plot is really focusing on... I, I Look, the plot would, would obviously include the tennis, but I would have it really focusing on Goron in those three years prior to Wimbledon. Yeah. And I would exaggerate, it. I would break, have yeah. Goron, you know, taking up smoking and becoming homeless <laughs> and living on the streets of Croatia, even though that's all false and he's a millionaire <laughs> at the time. But just that real struggle and then the B- Wimbledon courts calling him and saying hey we've given you a wild card and you can't afford a flight to London it'd be all of those really exaggerating that the the struggle but I think it'd be a good movie I'd, I think so it would probably get a 7.2 on IMDB absolutely no. it'd be a two-hour thriller yeah
1: it wouldn't be it would, it would be like an Oppenheimer you know like oh,
0: it's not it's not Oppenheimer <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's <laughs> definitely an it, banana, but, but I agree. Yeah, it,
1: it can be it can be a great movie
0: just because of the story, just because yes. of Goran's story. Like yeah. before, we talk about whether we'd remember this in forty years. I want to talk about a couple of tennis points with you. Do you think the game of tennis nowadays has it lost its luster and sparkle with the the death of serve and volley, or are you happy with the game the way it is at the moment?
1: Yeah, I, look, I think it's. Um it's one of those things that serve and volley is exciting in its own way, but I think, you know, what came after that, which is, you know, the more baseline strokes and, and, and those longer rallies, I, I think the games just evolved over time. And, I, and I, I don't think I necessarily see it as the death of tennis or in any way. Um, I think traditionalists may think, yes, you know, the, the, the classic serve and volley not being a, a, a focus of the game anymore as an issue, mm. but, um, yeah, you know, I, I look, you, you got your, you got your Nadals, you got your, Djokovic's, you know, and obviously any of your modern players, yeah, who are just, you know, I, I don't think anyone would say that they're not exciting to watch. You know, the rallies are longer, um, and and there's there's definitely, um. Uh, it's a better TV viewing product. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. It's, TV broadcasters love tennis yeah. nowadays because the games go longer.
1: Go, the games go longer and you know, they, they're so interesting and, and you're still getting those yeah. close matches So five sets. And I,
0: I, don't, I don't personally see it as an issue. I think it's tough because the game, and you, men, you, you brought up this point, which is a really good point earlier on the episode where you were talking about how the technology has yeah. improved and the rackets have improved. The rackets have become so much more powerful if we go back 50 years, three of the four grand slams were on grass. Yeah. And the rackets are wooden. And perhaps serve and volley back then was a lot easier to do. The game now, the courts are all homogenized. Yeah. Bar clay court, it's almost hard courts or a slow grass. It is very hard for serve and volley players to thrive on any of the courts. And so my personal view is that, when you are playing on four courts, why not have four different courts? Yeah. Okay. Why not embrace a different style? Because yeah, you might have a tournament where when you associate serve and volley, you associate a game that finishes very quickly. You have shorter rallies, but that's not a bad thing. If it's one out of every four tournaments Yeah, and you need to cater to players who might not be able to seven volley players don't have the highest fitness levels because their games don't last yeah. as long. And so I think there is there should have been some consideration to not caving into this this culture where we just accede to complaints by people about how oh, the games are too boring or too short.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think look, you know, I I think this question came up um, and I think curious had, had had a view on this which was would the you know the, the classic players from the nineties, well, so Becker, and Sampras, would yeah. they do well, do well, now. well now? And, and I think Curious is like, nah, that would that would all suck.
0: But I don't think that's. I disagree. Yeah,
1: I don't think that's true, and, and I think you know, um, with Sampras, definitely, you know, because Sampras's
0: game, he still had a baseline yeah, game.
1: Yeah, he was still very strong, and you know, he had a powerful serve. So it's I, I don't. His see serve it.
0: would win him a lot of yeah a lot of games, and I, I think. Sampras nowadays would have modified his game. He yeah. almost may, may not have been a serve and volley specialist. He would still have a strong volley game, but he wouldn't have used it as often. Yeah, agree. Final question I want to ask. This is just for me, but I've always enjoyed watching team tennis, something like Davis Cup. Yeah. And in the modern game, team tennis has died for me. We don't watch doubles anymore. We don't really know what's going on in the Davis Cup. The Davis Cup format tournament has changed and wax and waned at all times is there a way in which we can improve um team tennis or do you think tennis is just a solo individual sport and we shouldn't be thinking about that
1: yeah i i think it yeah it it definitely is individual by its very nature um you know obviously all the the best players are they're, they're what they're known for is their individual contributions to you know winning grand slams um but you're right i think i think team tennis has hasn't really um done very well um particularly now i think you know the davis cup was the, the the classic team tennis competition or the world cup of tennis they used to call it but it, it um, was great in the
0: early 2000s yeah. but it just yeah
1: yeah it, it had, and, and i think a little bit's got to do with scheduling like you know you've got so many like the the atp tour for any player is very taxing you know they good point um yeah you know, like they've got to rack up those points because I, I think a lot of those team tennis conflict, comp- like, you know davis cup popman um uh, united, the, cup, united cup now yeah. and the labor cup we have which is you know the modeled after the Ryder cup um true those don't contribute to your atp points you know you've got like um labor cup this year no none of the top players were playing this year yeah. they played last year because that was federer's last yeah. game and then obviously um everyone wanted to be part of that
0: but you almost it's, it's just sad now with tennis that we don't watch Davis Cup we don't follow team tennis and I think yeah. team tennis is a it's it's a area that can be exploited and become very popular because who doesn't love to support your country where if if you're playing for your country it almost means something more yeah and that's what the Davis Cup used to mean I used to actually remember watching Australia play they'd play France or they'd play Spain overseas and you watch those games and you think there's, there's nothing better than like what's supporting your country. Born in Australia, watching someone like Leighton Hewitt play. One of Leighton Hewitt's best matches was when he beat Federer and he yeah. was two sets down yeah. and he beat Federer. It was Australia against Switzerland, early 2000s, prime Leighton Hewitt. The tennis federation has to find a way in which to reintegrate ten- team tennis back into the tennis calendar yeah. in a more prominent way. And I think it'd be a lot more successful. Yeah, I agree. I had a lot of fun doing this. Thanks, I think did we give it justice? I think so.
1: Yeah, we we, we, we spent a lot of the, we we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, and you know we gave um, we gave ample time on you know Goran's So I think we, really we did do.
0: justice. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you